Um, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews today. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, a very familiar passage with us. And if you guys would, would you guys please stand as we give reading and attention to God's Word. And this is going to feel like the rapture. We're going to be, there's only two verses. We're going to be like up and down real quick. So uh, here we go. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, thank you. That ends the, the, the perfect part of our Sunday gathering, the reading of your word. Your word is perfect. Your word is holy. Your word you have given to us. Uh, you have sustained it throughout the ages to, to, to show us who you are. To point us to your love. To point us to your grace. To point us to your mercy. To point us to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so, Lord, I pray that even though this is a familiar passage, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning of the greatness of what you have accomplished for us as you have already won the race for us. We just have to finish. And we finish by keeping our eyes fixed on you by faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> Man, my throat's a little, a little dry today too. First day of spring, right? Is today? Isn't that right? March 20th? Yeah? Until tomorrow when it snows, right? Then we're back in winter. Alright, hey. Who in here, can we show me your hands? Who in you in here loves to run long distances? Go ahead and raise your hand. Oh, nice. Yeah, we got, we got a couple in here. Long distance runners. Um, I hate running long distance. Um, uh, or jogging. Anything that has to do, I, I hate running in general because when I was playing, running was usually used for punishment. Get on the line. They wanted to punish you for something. Uh, so I don't like to run unless I get to hit something or hit someone. All right. Um, amen. I love it. Well, as Christians, ones who have been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are all called to be long distance runners. We are all called to, to run the race of endurance. No exceptions. And the race that we're running is the race of faith. And it's not just a race of faith, but it's a race of enduring faith, of persevering faith. It's a run that we are running through a Genesis 3 world where it's hard, it's difficult, but our eyes are fixed on the prize. Our eyes are fixed on the finish line of the new heaven and the new earth where Christ Jesus will crown us with a crown of righteousness. We are all runners, but the track we're running on isn't always flat like it is in the Olympics. And all we do is take left turns, right? We know that running in the Genesis 3 world can be tough. Sometimes we're running on a nice flat track and all we have to do is turn left. But a lot of times we're running not only on asphalt or on a good track, but we're running in the snow. We're running in dirt. We're running on gravel. We're running in the mud. There are some times where we're running on a beautiful spring day like it's going to be today. It's going to be 70 degrees beautiful, clear skies. And those are days that we get to run and enjoy. But also there's going to be times where we just are running in the dead of winter. And we're running in two feet of snow. In other words, the race of faith is hard. The race of faith is difficult. It's not, it's not an easy one. Uh, it takes commitment. It takes dedication. It takes a, a will. 
it takes a, a focus. And today we get to be coached up by uh, King Jesus here on how to run the race of faith. How to run this race with endurance and perseverance. We'll look back on the hall of faith and those that have run before us. And they're in the stands and they're yelling and speaking encouraging words to us as we look forward to the finish line of faith. And if we listen to the cloud of witnesses who came before us, and if we keep our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, we will reach the finish line. We will reach the finish line and cross it set before each one of us. And we will receive the crown of righteousness that the Lord will give us on that day. So let's look at this. Uh, First, we see to win the crown, to win the prize, to finish the race, we must run without extra baggage. We see in 12, 1b, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Now the author draws out this faith, this endurance faith by using a running metaphor. A running metaphor that the, the audience, the original audience of that day would be very, very familiar with, just like we are. Because athletics, the games, were a big part of their culture, just like it is for us. And so they would immediately resonate with this metaphor of running a race of endurance. And this is why we see this is all over the New Testament because, again, the culture would be so ingrained in the games in athletics. And we see the author begins with that word, therefore, which then points us back to everything he just said. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. He he is beginning by pointing us back to this hall of faith, this great cloud of witnesses that we are surrounded by, like right now. Like like right now, these witnesses are, are watching you and me continually run our race on a daily basis. And he points that out. Uh, they are witnesses, again, mentioned in Hebrews 11, but not only those mentioned in Hebrews 11, but all of those that have come before us. All of those that have been running the race of faith that have come before us. They are watching you and me. You, you might say that all of heaven is watching us right now. All of heaven is watching you and me run our daily race of faith. Now, witnesses typically do two things, right? A crowd. We're all familiar with the crowd. Sometimes we've played in front of a crowd. Sometimes we've all been a part of a crowd watching those playing or running. They do two things. One, they watch, right? They watch. And typically when we, when we hear a message on this, these verses, typically they just point out that we just got a great cloud of witnesses that are watching you. But this is a cloud of witnesses. Witnesses not only watch something, but they also say something. They also say something. Whenever you're in a crowd, you're watching a game. Do you always just say silent when you see what's going on in the field? No, you're cheering, you're yelling, you're encouraging. And these witnesses are doing the same to us as we run the race. Think of races like a long distance race, like a, a marathon or the Tour de France. They've got people lined up and as people are running by, what are you doing? They're encouraging them. Hey, keep going. Keep pressing on. You're doing great. Keep your eye on the prize. They're encouraging you. And I believe that these witnesses are doing the same to us today. Remember Abel. Remember Hebrews 11.5, what I taught on a couple weeks ago. It says, and through his faith, though dead, what? He still speaks. He still speaks. They are speaking encouraging words to us as we run. So, so let's, let's listen to maybe what they might be saying to you and me. Let, let's take a look at the hall of faith and, and these great cloud of witnesses that are watching you and me run. And what might they just be encouraging you and me as we 
run our race. We might think of Abel. And he's just saying, keep on running. Maybe you have family members. Maybe you have brothers and sisters that despise you, that are jealous of you. Because they, they see the Lord blessing you and not them. Abel might say, hey, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep, keep running the race. Stay focused. Enoch. Remember Enoch? We talked about Enoch a couple weeks ago and Genesis said he walked with God. I like Enoch because he'd be like, Aaron, I'm with you. I hate to run, right? Because I hate to run. But we're called to run. We're called to run this race of endurance. But there's sometimes where, where our legs are going to get tired. The lactic acid is going to build up. And you're going to have to slow down. You're going to, you're going to actually going to have to walk. And you might even have to ask someone to help you. To help you get through this next couple miles. To, to let your legs recoup in this life. Slow down in life. Maybe you need to walk. Maybe you need some help. Lean on someone for a time to help you recoup your strength. How about Noah? Noah might be uh, yelling encouraging words to you and to me. He says, when all the culture is against you, when God has a call on your life, where He has called you something to go and do which might seem crazy to the world, endure. Persevere. Keep running. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. His way is the way. And even in today's world, I think of of just something as simple as just living out our God-given roles as men and as women. How much that is under fire and attack today. How crazy it thinks that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. We, we see a culture that is just, just trying to, is coming against that, is hostile to that. No one might be saying, hey, keep your eyes fixed on the prize. Live out your God-given roles and responsibilities as men. As women. Then we have Abraham. What, what, what might Abraham say to you and me? I think he might say this. The sacrifices are worth it. I think he might say like your sacrifices that you're making on behalf of God are worth it. God, God sees you making those sacrifices for Him. And He will reward you. So, so keep on running. Keep sacrificing. How about Jacob? What might Jacob say to you? Jacob might say, it's like, hey, I'm not your... Uh, a-type person, you know, your A-type leader. I don't have that A-type personality. Uh, my brother Esau, he was, he was the A-type leader. He was the outdoorsman. He's the one that did CrossFit, right? Uh, Jacob was, as we remember when we were back in, in Genesis, uh, he was a mama's boy. Remember that? He was a mama's boy. He liked rom-coms. He drove a Prius, right? He listened to Justin Bieber, right? He wasn't, he wasn't your typical A-type leader personality, but God chose Jacob, to lead and lead the family of blessing. Because God is not looking so much for ability as He is looking for availability. That's what we are hearing from Jacob. He might be encouraging you. How about Joseph? Joseph might be saying this to some of you guys. Hey, keep running through the valleys of the shadow of death. Life can be hard sometimes. Life can be real hard sometimes. I know life can seem unfair. It might not seem right. Uh, I, 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 was, I was sold to slavery by my brothers. I, I, was, I was accused of a crime and spent years in jail that I did not commit. But, but keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. I know life might feel unfair. My, it might, you, you might not ha get the answers to the why questions this side of heaven, but keep trusting in the Lord. He has a plan for you. He'll get you through to the other side. I know this. I'm a witness to his process. Process. Keep on running. 
How about Moses? What might Moses say to us? There's many things that we can learn from Moses, but I think I want to talk about this. Age is but a number. Remember when Moses was called to lead uh, the nation Israel out of Egypt, he was 80 years old. He was an older man. The Lord called me when I was 80. He might say, lead his people out of bondage. And he might be saying to you right now, if you're in that age group, finish strong. Finish strong. You, you still have some race to finish. So, so run with endurance. Finish strong. You still got some fight in you. What, what, what might the Lord have you fulfill in these last years of your life? How about Rahab? What might Rahab say? I think she might say, hey, your past does not define you. Your actions in the past might not define you. Rahab was a prostitute. She, she could have easily was in the tank. That I'm, I'm damaged goods. I'm despised. I'm destitute. I thought I could never be loved. I thought redemption had passed me by, but not so. Because the Lord heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. The Lord, the Lord forgave me. He can forgive you. He redeemed me and He uses me as a witness to His grace and mercy throughout the ages. My life still speaks today, so keep on running. He brings beauty from ashes. I think that's what Rahab might say. You're beloved, so keep on running. Keep on enduring. I mean, we can go on and on listening to all these great men and women of faith encouraging us just as they were encouraged those before them. So which other men or women of faith that we read about in Scriptures are kind of running the same trail that you're running right now? That you could glean encouragement from. That you can glean um, uh, uh, joy and peace from. That you look at their lives. You look how the Lord used them and, and how the Lord encouraged them to run the faith of endurance. Who that might be for you? Well, the author goes on and says, gives us the main point. Let us lay aside. We're familiar with these terms, lay aside. We talked about this in the state of the cross and in Colossians. Lay aside means to put off or to take off. And he says two things. Every weight and the sin which clings so closely. In short, what the author is saying is he's saying throw off any hindrances that are going to hinder you from running the race. That are going to slow you down. Did you know that in these times, back then, in the games, that the men, they would compete in their birthday suits. They would run naked because they didn't want anything to hinder them. Now, praise the Lord that we live in a day that they, our athletes have these high-tech body suits, right? And they don't compete in their birthday suits. Can I get an amen on that? I don't know who in the world would go wants to go watch someone run like that. But anyhow... Uh, they have these high-tech body, you know, these body suits that cling so closely to them, right? We just watched the Winter Olympics. And in every sport that um, is competing against the clock wears these skin-tight suits. The, the skiers, the uh, speed skaters, the bobsledders. And we are to do the same thing. We are called to do the same thing. To, to throw off these weights and sin so that we can run the race of endurance without any hindrances. Now first, I think there's two things to throw off. Every weight is not necessarily sin. I think the author is making a distinction here. I think this is every weight could be something good, but not what is best. Every weight could be something good. These weights are neutral, but ultimately they hinder us somehow. Again, they might not be sinful, and they may be even good, but they're not the best thing to support us as we run. This is what one person said. He said this about this verse. There may be encumbrances that are not bad or sinful in of themselves, but should be evaluated in light of their effect on running the race. 
In other words, we, we, we never see a long distance runner run in a trench coat, right? We never see that. It, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be the best. Now, there's no rules that say you can't run in a trench coat. You can run the race in whatever, whatever garb you want, whatever uniform you want, but we don't see anyone running the trench coats. Now, are trench coats bad? No, they're good for a certain purpose, right? When the weather's bad, it kind of keeps your, it's, it's good to wear a good trench coat, especially if you're in your, in your, in your nice looking duds. But it's not the best. So some of these weights or encumbrances are not obviously trench coats, but they could be good things that, 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 that are over, that we go overboard with. Things like our hobbies, our, our work, even our own families can become something that weighs us down if we give extra or too, too, too much attention to. Those helicopter pilot, you know, parents that never let their kids do anything. That could weigh their kids down. But I want to focus on real quickly on our time and schedules. I think we as Americans and we in this room, sometimes we weigh ourselves down by packing our schedules too tightly with too much stuff. We are busy people. Uh, that, 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 and it's not bad. It's good that we're doing all these things, but sometimes they can tend to take us away from the things that are best. Sometimes they can take us away from a Sunday gathering or life group or journey group and being consistent in that because we're spending so much time outside where the book of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 10, Pastor Rick did a good job, do not forsake the gathering as, of, as some of you do. Some of us do that because we just pack our schedules in too much. Corey Ten Boone said this, if the devil can't make us bad, he will make us busy. And I think that's true of a lot of us in here. We tend to want to pack our schedules with so much stuff, even good stuff, that sometimes it takes us away from the best stuff. It takes us away from accomplishing what the Lord wants us to accomplish. And so the question for us this morning is, we all have enough time in our days to accomplish what the Lord wants us to accomplish. We, we, we all have enough time in our days to spend enough good quality time with our spouses and our family to do good work but also to follow Jesus. There's enough time. It's the, so the question is, is the race of faith guiding your schedule and my schedule or is something else? Again, a lot of these weights are good, but what is the best thing to help you accomplish what the Lord has called you to? That's the first thing. That's the weight. The other is sin. The sin clings so closely. Now, we all know the struggles of sin here. We are all on the, the same path. They're, they're different paths, but we all know the weight of sin. Some of these sins are out of our control, like the, a war in Ukraine that, that happens when Russia attacks. That, that, that sin that the, the people of Ukraine had no, they, they couldn't control. But most of the time, it is something that we can't control. The sin. The sin which clings so closely. That, that phrase really stands out, doesn't it? The sin which clings so closely. I mean, you, can almost, you can almost feel feel the, the sin and feel the clinging closely in that phrase. Can you not? When I, when I think of, I was trying to come up, hey, what's a good illustration of something that clings so closely to you? We like to go out on hikes or, and when we go on in the, in the mountains, we go hiking and we go off the trail or we go hunting, you know, and we're walking through off trail. All of a sudden you see that lead person start doing, you know, this as they're walking. Why? Because they're walking through spider webs, Right? I, I kind of, me, Collins go bow hunting, and, and I like to let him go out and lead because, because of this very thing. 
And I just love to see his reaction. He's flailing, and I'm just sitting back there laughing a little bit. So I know what's happening. These spider webs are getting in his eyes, they're getting in his mouth, and he tries to get them out, and they, they stay all in his hand, and they tries to wipe them off on their pants, and they stay on their pants, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Spider webs, man. They cling so closely. You can't get them off you. Why? Because sin is a clinger. Sin is a clinger. Some weights that aren't sin can weigh you down. But sin, sin will drown you. Sin will bring you down because sin is a clinger. It doesn't let go. And again, we know, we know the sins that cling to each one of us. We, again, we talked about them in Colossians 3 a number of weeks ago. These are the things that we are called to lay aside. Uh, Colossians 3 gives us a good list. Uh, uh, things that we're supposed to throw off, lay aside, put to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. And, and this wasn't in this one, but it's in other words where Paul writes, and self-righteousness. You know the self-righteousness, the one that says, the Pharisees, that says, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like that sinner over there. You know, don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Self-righteousness. So the question is, well, how do you and I, how do we throw off? Sin that clings against us. There's many ways, but one, I think the main way is through confession and repentance. It's through confession and repentance. We know 1 John 1, 9, that we confess our sin. He is what? Faithful and just will forgive us. How about this one? Acts 3, 19. Repent and turn back from your sins so that, he may, so that your sins may be blotted out or wiped out. It's through repentance. How about this? Proverbs 28.13 Whoever conceals his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. How do we throw off the sin that clings so to us? We throw it off by confessing it. Repenting of it. Confession and repentance. This is what separates a true Christian from empty professors. It's repentance. It's repentance. Again, let's listen to one of the great witnesses watching us run the race. King David. King David. We know about King David. He was a man after God's own heart, and yet he did some of the most heinous sins that you can do. He had sexual immorality and he murdered someone, had someone killed. Let's listen to his heart. How did, how did he approach? How did he, how did he throw off the sin? We're familiar with Psalm 51. We're not going to read all of it, but let me read a couple of verses and, and listen to King David encourage you to throw off your sin, just as he threw off his sin by confessing and repenting. Repentance. He said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Deliver me from blood guiltness. O oh God, O oh God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. You see, joy comes through confession and repentance of your sin. So what, what do you need to throw off this morning? What, what sin or sins do, that are clinging to you this morning, what do you need to throw off this morning? You throw them off by confessing to the Lord and repenting. You see, but we just can't just repent, we must also believe. We just can't throw off, we must also put on. Turning away from sin must also be coupled with fixing our eyes on Jesus. Because repentance 
it has the idea of turning away. We're clinging to sin. We turn away from sin and we cling to something else. And what we cling to is Jesus, which takes us to our second point. To win the crown, to win the prize, to finish the race, we must fix our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and the seed at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, each one of us has a race to run. We are each running our own race. You're not running my race. I'm not running your race. We are each running our own race. The race that is set before us. The race that is set before you. The race that is set before me. And if we want to finish the race, then we must fix our eyes. We must be laser focused on Jesus. As verse 2 is, He is the author and the founder, the perfecter of our faith. The reason why we keep our eyes on Him because He's already at the finish line. Not, not, this is not like keep our eyes on Him like right now. It's like see where we're going. That's where Jesus is. He's, he's, he's at the finish line. Why? Because He's already finished the race for you and for me. And I don't know about you, but when I was an athlete competing, when I knew the game was over, when I already won, even though we were still playing, that's the best feeling in the world. You can see it right now with a little bit of March Madness, right? You see those teams that are up by 10 with like a minute left? There's no way they can lose. I mean, there's a way they can lose, but really no way they can lose, right? And when you're up by that much, you're like, oh, it feels so good. We, we can already taste the next step. We can already taste the sweet 16, I think, is what the next round is. And you see these athletes taste it. They know the race, the game has already been won. It's just a matter of the clock running out. Well, that's, that's for us. The race has already been won for us. We just have to finish and finish strong. And that's what Paul says. We still run the race to win. We still run the race to obtain the prize, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I mean, I don't know about you, but every athlete that competes, again, it's March Madness, those guys are, are competing to what? To win. They're just not competing to play. They're, they're competing to win. That's why like a team like St. Saint Peter, Saint Pete's, whatever the heck their name is, St. Peter's, right? Out of New Jersey, the number 15 or 16 seed can take out Kentucky. Why? Because they're in the game, not just to show up, but they're in the game to to win. They want to win. They want to attain the prize. They want to win the trophy. That's why they're playing the game. And then they win last night. And all of our brackets have been busted because of them, right? But that's how we are to run. To win. To obtain the prize. But the good news is for us is we know that it's already been won. And we're going to taste victory. We're going to win that trophy. We just got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And this is what the whole book of Hebrews is all about. The whole book of Hebrews is talking to these struggling Christians back then that are looking to, to walk away from the faith because life is so hard. They're being persecuted. And the author of Hebrews is saying, no, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He's won the race. Don't go back to something that is obsolete and that will make you a loser. You'll lose. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is better. He's better than the prophets. He's better than Moses. He's better than the angels. He's better than Joshua. He's a better Sabbath rest. He's a better high priest. 
He's a better sacrifice. He's a, he's a better Savior. He's a better mediator of a new covenant. He's a better mediator of your circumstances right now. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews says this, that He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the forerunner that has entered the heavenly sanctuary, the finish line. He is seated down because He's done the race that has been won. He has opened a new and living way for us to follow. Revelation says He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Philippians says He's the one who began a good work in you and He will complete it. Fix your eyes on Jesus. This is who we fix our eyes on. Why? Because He's already finished the race. He's already run the more difficult portions for you and for me. In fact, He's run the most difficult path for you and for me. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. We should have run that, that path, that trail. That should have been our track, but He ran it for you and for me. Jesus endured the cross. He endured the unlawful arrest and trial. He endured the, the cat of nine tails, the flogging that literally ripped His flesh from His bones. He endured the six to ten inch spikes driven into His wrists and to His feet. He endured the crown that was just shoved on his head. He endured the ridicule. He endured the mockery. He endured the shame from those he created. He endured the wrath of God for your sin and my sin. He who knew no, knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Jesus endured the cross despite the shame. He died the ultimate shameful death that a man could die in that culture on the cross. The Pharisees wanted to make an example of him. They wanted to shame him. He endured the cross. But how did he endure it? What motivated him to endure it? It says the joy set before him. The joy set before him. He endured the cross and despised the shame. What was his joy in? What, what brought him joy to endure the cross and despise the shame? This is the crucial question that we must all ask and answer. What would his death gain him that he didn't already have before? What would his death gain him that would bring him this joy that he didn't already have before? Relationship with the Father? To please the Father? No. God the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. To become king? No, he was already, the, before the cross, he was already the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To show his power? No, he, he spoke and creation came into existence. For glory, for worship? No, he was already worshipped by the angels. For authority? No, all authority in heaven and earth had already been given to him before he went to the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? What did he have to gain that he didn't have before? And one of the answers is you. Me. Salvation. Those of us that have been saved from death to life. Do you remember Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? One of his last prayers, John 17, maybe, maybe alluding to this, his last prayers in John 17. Jesus is sitting there and he's praying. He says, I've already glorified you, Father. And this is what I pray. You know what he prayed for? He said this in John 17, 9. He said, I am praying for them. Well, who, who's the them? I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. 
That's who I'm praying for. Jesus had you and me in mind when he was praying this prayer. Those who the Father has given him, for they are yours. He prayed for you. Listen, the, the, the reason why we can endure this life through faith, the reason why we can fix our eyes on Jesus is because he first fixed his eyes on you. And he first fixed his eyes on me. That's why we can look forward to this race. So when you find yourself running through the muck and mire of life, when you find yourself like the cards you have been dealt with are unfair, when you feel like tapping out because it's just getting too difficult, or that God doesn't care, God's life, God's death, and God's resurrection. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection says, fix your eyes on me, because I fixed my eyes on you. Fix your eyes on Jesus, His life, His death, and His resurrection. Thank Him for running the race in your place and mine. Thank Him for taking the track of the cross for you and for me. Thank Him that He clings to us when we don't cling to Him. Thank Him when we're walking in selfishness and pride. Thank Him that He is one that holds us in His hands and nothing can snatch us out of His hands. Thank Him that nothing can separate us from His love. Thank Him that He who began a good work in you will complete it. You will make it to the finish line. Thank Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. We opened up by looking at the witnesses. We're looking back at the witnesses who are encouraging us on our faith journey. Encouraging us from the stands. Telling us to run, to give us encouragement, giving us advice on how to endure, how to walk in faith that endures. But the best witness, the best witness we have in the stands is Jesus. And He's sitting at the right hand of God where all power and all authority He has over your life and my life. One said this, the thing about Jesus is He just doesn't run a couple miles with you. He he just doesn't run a couple miles with you, but He actually comes out of the stands and He says, hey, let you and me go the distance together. I'm going to run this race with you all the way. Fix your eyes on Jesus this morning so that we can say what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.7. He said this, Paul, last letter he written, his probably one of his last words he said, he said this, 2 Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all, but to all who have loved His appearing. Fix your eyes on Jesus this morning. Because the witnesses are still fixing their eyes on Jesus, look real quickly with me at the last verses in chapter 11. 
Verse 39, it says this, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Did not receive, I would say, yet what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. See, there's another reason why the, 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 the hall of faith are watching you and me and encouraging you and me. They're like, man, let's go, Aaron. You need to finish. Let's finish. Let's finish. Why? Because they're waiting on that last day to receive the crown of righteousness, which we'll all get together at the same time. That's why also they're encouraging you and for me. Because they know that last person that crosses the line in God's mind, they're looking forward to that, to that finish line, to where that Genesis 3 world becomes the Revelation 21-22 world. The new heaven, the new earth, where there is no sin, there is no struggling, there is no shame. There is love, joy, peace, and a great feast with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who has run the race first for you and for me and has completed it. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus this morning. Throw off the weight. Throw off the sin through confession and repentance, and run the race of endurance. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank You for these short two verses. They are packed with incredible truths. Lord, we're thankful for them. Lord, we're thankful for the encouragement that we heard from some of these great men and women of the faith that have come before us. And Lord, I pray that there's, that there's people in here that are, are in the valley of the shadow of death, that they would go back and read Joseph's story. They would go back and read Rahab's story. Uh, Lord, that they would be encouraged. That they would be encouraged by these men and women who, who clung to Jesus, who fixed their eyes on the, the coming of the Messiah. Lord, we get the joy and the privilege to, to already see that He's already come. We have a better and fuller revelation. So when we fix our eyes on Him, and for those of us that are on green pastures, Lord, we're just thankful for for You running the race in our place, in particular the race of Golgotha, the cross. Lord, and we look forward to about a month from now where we get to, to celebrate the resurrection, the thing that, that made this all part of, that was the final, the final nail in the coffin, so to speak, of life for us. <coughs> Your resurrection. And I pray that we now we have a, a thankful heart, but we'd also be thinking of those in our circles of influence that need that need to know the love, the mercy of Jesus. That need to fix their eyes on Jesus. May we be praying for them and extend to them an invitation. Extend to them the invitation of the greatest love that we will ever receive from anyone, and that is the love of Christ through His life, death, and resurrection. Lord, let us throw, away, throw off the weight and the sin. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.